Thanks for tuning in to PLR Podcast. We are live in the Turtle Tale once again with a full episode. I am joined, as always, with... Hey, what's up? I'm Evan. And Evan, we got a lot to talk about today. Um, but first, uh, I... But we have, first. But first, we have two events coming up that I wanted to talk about. The first one is on Friday. Evan, do you want to say something about that? I can say something about that. Friday, September 3rd at 6 p.m., we will be uh, outside of the Wyatt Detention Center in Central Falls making a whole bunch of noise. It is a noise demonstration. Noise and light are like two of the only ways we can communicate with folks that are detained inside. And they're in their holding cells a lot of the time, and they're miserable. We can communicate with them uh, by screaming, chanting, making noise, bringing something to bang on, whistles, you know, whatever, and then also like flashlights, stuff like that. Um, and you'll see, if you haven't been to one of these, you'll see how it goes. But if you have been, you already know. Uh, so 6 o'clock Friday, rain or not, we'll definitely be there. Uh, please come out. Uh, take care of yourself. Wear a mask. Very important. It would be pretty disrespectful to not wear a mask. Um, and yeah, we will see you there. Yeah, if you haven't been to one of these, I mean, you can go. Don't be worried that you're, you're a noob or anything. You're not a noob. Oh, yeah, no. You're just you're doing your thing. We're happy you're there. We'll be so happy to see you. The very next day is the opening of Red Ink Community Library, which uh, all of us, in one way or another, are um, involved in. Um, and we're going to have live acoustic music, which is going to be really great. There's some friends there, and there's some people that I don't know that I'm excited to see live. I mean, I don't know them personally, but I'm excited to see them live. Um, and it runs, it's going to run from 5 to 10, I think. So you can come through and do what you want. Uh, browse the library collection that's there. Say hi to us because I, I think that we'll all be there at some point during the day. Uh, but maybe not the entire time. Uh, and say hi to other people that are involved with the library. It's on... Uh, 130 Cypress Street, but it's it's at the corner. It's near the uh, I think it's called black and white convenience store. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so stop by the parking there isn't ideal, but uh, You'll you can still figure it out I'm sure. <laughs> um, Yeah, come see the space check it out say hi meet the neighbors uh, just being there day after day working on it We've met a lot of folks who live in the neighborhood and they're all really sweet I did want to say, as you can see from what we were just talking about, uh, PLR Podcast has a lot going on, uh, and what we do, and what we've always tried to do, is to spotlight mutual aid and, and action in the city, that's what we're all about, as opposed to just covering the news or, uh, you know, just uh, interviewing politicians, and if you really like that I've been pushing the Patreon hard in the past few weeks, but uh, the money goes to us for doing this partially, but it also goes to the mutual aids that we have on. We like to give money to um, people that come on and talk about what they do. Uh, and so if you do like what we do, you can help us out and help them out at the same time uh, by going to our Patreon. So finally, the long introduction is over. What's going on? <laughs> uh, I went to the beach today. 
super fucking nice. It was probably the worst day to go to the beach because it was cloudy and 77 degrees and it was like windy. So you had like that sand effect where it just like hits you at 100 miles an hour and it feels like you're getting slapped. But all things considered, it was a good time. Got out of the house, got to spend the time on the beach. Water was great, a little choppy, good if you're surfing. But yeah, not bad. That what was. Be- what beach was it? I think it was like Blue Shutters or something in Narragansett. Oh, yeah. Blue yeah? Shutters? Or maybe it wasn't Gansett. I f- fucking, I forget. I did go to a... Uh... Was it Newport? No, it wasn't Newport. God damn. What the fuck? Uh, I can't remember. But I went and I got a lobster roll from someplace in Narragansett and it was too expensive. Damn. But also super good. It was like 25 bucks for like one hot dog, you know, bun filled it was just a hot dog bun. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> it had butter on it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, every once in a while, if you live in Rhode Island, you do have to splurge on the seafood. Mm. But I hate the lobster rolls that are like you're eating something that any other place is like a fancy meal. They put it on a fucking hot dog bun. And you're like, man, why can't this be like an actual roll or something? Yeah, <laughs> something better. We waited for like half an hour, forty five minutes in line to get it too. Damn. Yeah, it was ridiculous, but. It is what it is. We got that done. Got to do it once a summer, I guess. If you're not, you know, vegan, vegetarian, whatnot. I had no concept of what a lobster roll was. I kind of assumed for a long time before I ever saw one that it was like a sushi situation. Uh, (laughs) Nope. Um, Nope. Not even close. Because like a roll doesn't mean bread to me. If you had said a po' boy, I would have known what Mm. that was, right? But... Or even a grinder, I would have known what that was. Grinder. A grinder. Down in Nola, do you have, like, clam chowder? No. No? <laughs> Maybe that was a dumb question. You have gumbo, fool. Oh, gumbo, yeah. Gumbo. Yeah, I guess that's the equivalent. Gumbo. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Alex? Gumbo is delicious. I mean, Attleboro, I'm pretty sure, just has... I don't live in Attleboro. East Providence does not have their own clam chowder. But... I did not know. <laughs> I did not know until recently that um, Rhode Island clam chowder is clear. Technically. Yeah, it doesn't seem like normal, does it? Clear does chowder? It? No. New England is white. Uh, I think Connecticut or New York or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's red. red. Yeah. We're clear. It just seems odd to me. I don't know if I've ever had clear clam chowder, and I can't now because I don't eat seafood, but. I never knew that. I'll Someone have to try me, it for you. A trusted source told me that. Ver- please, if I'm wrong, message uh, the Instagram <laughs> because Evan is a lot more tame than I am. If you if you message the Twitter, I'm gonna battle you for no reason. <laughs> but just message the Instagram and, and and let Evan know if I'm wrong about Rhode Island clam chowder because um, I want to hear about it. Today we have uh, we're gonna have the PSL on the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Uh, really excited about that. We've been talking to um, representatives of that party for a while about this interview, so we are um, excited to have them on. Um, what else is going on today? I feel like there's a lot. Or this week, past week, I don't know. I mean, I also have a lot of personal things that I could talk about, but uh, we could talk about the hurricane that was supposed to happen <laughs> that everybody was really freaked out about. And then it didn't affect us so much. I mean, I'm sure that there was damage in other places, but particularly here, you know, in group chats I was involved in, people were like, 
make sure you fill up your tub with water and <laughs> yep. all that kind of stuff. And it was like, yeah, that's that's like even even in like New Orleans culture, that, that's kind of a joke at this point. Like people don't really do that. Yeah. <laughs> also, it was never going to get that bad. We we up here live on pretty much a hill. So I don't know. I was never worried. But my I partner's parents got like out. power lost. That oh, yeah. It. I think that was. That was the biggest deal. I mean, that is a big deal. Not having power is is tough to deal with, especially in the summertime. Uh, people need power for medical reasons, for sanitary reasons. Power is a nice thing to have. I think the hurricane, def- or the storm, whatever you want to call it, definitely affected people who are experiencing uh, homelessness. Oh, that's pretty obvious. And it's a kind of a double whammy, considering that we're still, or like we're in round two of this seemingly never-ending pandemic oh yeah with the delta variant mm-hmm. oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah who knows how that's gonna fucking turn out in the future mm-hmm. not pretty i'll oh, presume and there's now a lambda variant as well. <clears throat> nice i uh i was reading a local kind of conservative newspaper uh well i guess there's no harm in saying it the times um, because sometimes i think it's really funny and i like to read it sometimes and there were a lot of people in it talking about how much the state overreacted to the hurricane and how much uh uh, they blamed it on like leftist scare culture like (laughs) like leftists just trying to scare people and that's why they way overreacted and wow you know it's true that there was some overreaction there but to be honest with you i would almost rather the overreaction the overcaution than the opposite than not enough yeah, absolutely you know what i'm saying absolutely because if that thing did reform into a hurricane in last minute before coming up and hitting providence then but also like what power do we as leftists have to influence anybody we're not in control of yeah. any of the media <laughs> we don't have any politicians that are like i mean i don't think we have any real leftist politicians no, i don't know we're just the boogeyman exactly so like how are we going to influence anybody under what I, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, the normal blame something on a specific party. Well, I think I'm going to assume that it has something to do with the fact that leftists uh, talk a lot about climate change. And because all of these storms forming and becoming more and more intense and causing more and more damage uh, are the direct result of climate change. And so leftists are kind of like harping on it maybe a little bit and so that's probably why the uh right is getting upset well sorry for caring about the environment i know right assholes meanwhile in louisiana where my whole entire family is there's an actual massive hurricane hurricane ida heading straight for them and it's like i don't know cat four or something like it's a it's a big and damn my parents are freaked i haven't heard about that at all full new orleanians they're just like oh god not again. And it's on the sixth. It's a hitting uh, on the uh, sixth anniversary of Katrina. Sixth, sixteenth. My bad. Sixteenth anniversary of Katrina. Yeah, it's frightening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, I'm glad that in Rhode Island we didn't get hammered as much as people this uh, time. This time, as much as people uh, were anticipating. But you know, as you said, with climate change, it may happen. It's it's not far from possibility that the Atlantic the more that it gets globalized into 
essentially just a bigger Gulf of Mexico and it gets warmer that it that it can create more powerful storms um, on both sides of the Atlantic too. I, I just downloaded the Doppler radar so I've been like exploring the world and like you know I don't think about it that often but Europe gets a lot of storms and I didn't really realize that but well, well yeah just paying attention to it this is a little off subject, but do you think the government response is going to be a little better if there's another really bad hurricane down there? Or do you think that it's just going to be as botched and terrible as it was before? Do you think there's any improvement that they'll make? I, do you are compared to after Katrina? Yeah. Um, okay. This is, a, this is going to be, I'm going to try to make this as succinct and concise as possible. The biggest problem with Katrina was the flooding that happened it wasn't so much like the storm damage in and of itself which is usually like uh you know wind damage electricity stuff like that um but it was the flooding and theoretically they have spent like millions of dollars on reinforcing the levees now um and also getting pumps to hopefully operate without people need, needing pe like workers to do that because when the storm is really bad, the workers need to go home to their families. Um, so supposedly the money has been spent on making things better. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't have high hopes for like, I don't like have trust in the government to take mm. care of New Orleans again, especially because it's, you know, mostly black people. Um, and those areas are going to get hit the hardest uh, in the event of another massive flood. But, um, you yeah, know, I, I think there, there are enough mutual aid groups now that and, and people have learned a lot in the last 16 years. And there's also the quote unquote Cajun Navy, which is a group of Damn. folks that are, you know, just going out in their personal shrimp and boats and stuff, mm. just trying to help people. So there's enough of that going on to where, like, no, I don't think it will be as bad. But no, I don't think the government is necessarily going to, like, be more proactive. Um, I don't know. Biden will probably say something like his hands are tied or, like. Of course. He yeah. Doesn't, I don't know. Whatever. Try to absolve every government official, absolve themselves responsibility. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of where where is Joe comments in, in the Times newspaper uh, that are funny but i mean and in the, in the topic of climate change there's a rhode island is sort of having its uh similar battle lines being drawn because so much of our state is on shoreline mm -hmm. uh, and that means that people obviously you were just in narragansett today own houses right along the shore uh, and with climate change happening we know that like the world's oceans are going to rise and so therefore the borders of their property and what is essentially public beaches are going to change with that. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this dude that was arrested, Scott Keeley, uh, uh, I think two years ago. He was arrested for picking up seaweed on somebody's private property. It was a beach that he was picking up seaweed at. And the guy, or girl, non-binary pal, I don't know, called the cops on him. Cops came and arrested him. And like this dude knew his shit, so he was like, first of all, I am, I think it is, uh, um, I think it's 10 feet from the shoreline. Mm. So he's like, technically this is public property and I have a right to do this. Uh, and so the cops, in this case, he's also a white dude, were like, 
All right, you're free to go, and we're sorry for arresting you. But this dude, Scott Keeley, didn't let it stop there, and he led this protest a couple years ago, I think 2019, um, against the increasing claims to public property that pretty much rich people that live on the coast are having towards beaches um, and trying to maintain the public access to beaches uh, in Rhode Island Shore. Because in the Rhode Island Constitution, it actually gives uh, members of the state the right to access to those beaches, which I didn't actually know that. I thought that if somebody posted a sign that said, no access private property, that means like you can't fuck with that water. But apparently you can. Uh, it has to do with like the level of the tide and everything like that. But there's a special legislative commission to study and provide recommendations on the issues relating to lateral access along the Rhode Island shoreline. Um, and essentially it's uh, a number of house members, including our good friend Blake Filippi, hmm. who we've had some, some encounters with on Twitter. Fuck you, Blake. Um, <laughs> uh, who are trying to work out, trying to readjust the state constitution and the boundaries of where the public and private property starts. Now, the problem with this, and uh, thanks to Steve at Uprise for, for following this story, but the problem with that is uh, just like we've seen with other uh, commission bodies, especially with the redistricting thing, there are members of this committee who aren't even legislators anymore. Like people who were beat by progressives that uh, they don't even work in the House anymore. Like this dude, Mark McKinney, not even a legislator anymore. He's just a Rhode Islander that's a part of this committee now who, you know, these people who are really protecting the interests of their constituents and Blake Filippi's case that is Charleston, North Kingston, and Westerly, very upper middle class, borderline rich uh, constituents who are going to protect the interests of private property. And in this case, it's interesting because it sort of poses a problem, I think, a paradox for leftists, and that is like this guy, Scott Keeley, who we're supposed to be siding with, when he's talking about his rights according to the Constitution of Rhode Island, he sounds like a conservative, right? When somebody says, like, I'm protecting my right to claim this seaweed on this shoreline, it sounds like a conservative, like, sovereign citizen type of thing. But in this case, I actually agree with him that, like, shorelines should be public access. Just because you own a house that is on a beach does not mean that you own any section of that beach. You just own the house that's on the beach. So you can go to the beach as often as you want, but don't put up a fucking misleading sign that says private property, no trespassers, because I'm going to go. Oh my God, imagine thinking you own the ocean. Yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Imagine being arrested for picking up seaweed. <laughs> well, I don't know. Black people get arrested for walking dogs and shit. It's true. I imagine, so it, it wasn't clear, but I imagine that this uh, Keeley character was picking up seaweed for probably like his garden or something like that because it's good fertilizer. But uh, mm-hmm. it is very much a, a, white, a white person's uh, protest, a white person's issue. The people who own the private property are white people, vast majority, uh, and the people who want public access 
to the beaches are majority white people as well. Hmm. But that is going on in Rhode Island. Worth paying attention to because I think these questions of private property, uh, particularly as it pertains to nature, the environment, the world around us, is very interesting and it's only going to get more tense and, and more confusing as the earth changes and changes the contours of literal oceanic, uh, arctic, and national borders. Um, so it's worth following, at least in my opinion. But Circling back real quick to uh, the topic of rising sea levels, we took the little one to the Museum of Natural history or science or whatever mm-hmm. the hell last yeah. weekend um and it was it was cute it was it was fun she didn't really care for it in general because um, there wasn't a lot of interactive stuff to do um but there was a map that said something like um you know, like showed the projection of the deterioration of the coastline and we were kind of pointing out to her like this is all of like we will all this all of this will be underwater by the time you're older and she was kind of like well you got to do something about this and we were like no shit no doc you got to do something about (laughs) this we will be dead (laughs) and she was like what it's true it's on her uh gina fam is running for uh senate district three which is the east side of providence fox point uh this is kind of fucked up and i asked a supporter of hers about this uh, nothing fucked up about her policy. She's like the standard uh, Rhode Island progressive. Uh, but there were people on her campaign that were advertising, like they were saying things like join the fam, P-H-A-M, because that's her last name. Oy. And I messaged uh, one of them and I was like, did Gina give y'all permission to use her last name like that and the person's response was i don't know honestly and i was like oh that is very culturally insensitive but uh yeah keep an eye out for gina i guess but don't make fun of people's last names or misuse them i mean i'm all for cringy puns but like don't do it in a way that you can offend people if you i mean it's okay to piss people off with puns but i mean you should probably ask for gina's uh permission first exactly who knows? Maybe this is part of their um, PR campaign. I feel I like don't know. I feel like if it were, then it would be on her like actual campaign literature. It wasn't on the website. Or no, in these, the tweets or anything. These like were that. like people, like average people, saying I support the fam, but P H A M, just like regular supporters on Twitter and stuff. And I was like, that's kind of cringy, because <laughs> uh, mm. I don't know. It just didn't didn't rub me well. But I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe. Maybe Gina's cool Bad with it. touch with that one. Who knows? Who knows? Hmm. Uh, what else is up? What's going on? Uh, this, okay, I've been saving this because I want to see Andy's face when I tell him. Oh, no. It's a good thing. There is going to be an empanada festival. Ooh, that's <laughs> exciting. All right. <laughs> When's it happening? Where's it going to be? September 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. in Slater Park in Pawtucket. Fuck yeah, I love Slater. Um, ten local restaurants, uh, in competition doing empanada off. Yes. You have to you buy a ticket and then you get like a scorecard, I think. And then you gotta go and sample all of the empanadas. Oh, and rank them. yeah. So even though uh you know empanada hierarchy is not 
technically a leftist thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still good to go out and support uh, the restaurants. There is like it's like restaurant weeks going on. It's multiple weeks, not just one week, which is great. So yeah, Central Falls and Pawtucket are gonna have a lot of restaurants um, represented. So head on out and see what you can do. They've got breakfast, lunch, and dinner stuff going on. Uh, you can find information on that. Does it cost money at the door? Is it like one of the tequila festivals where you got to yes. spend like 20 bucks or something? I don't know if it's, I, th- I think it's like 10 bucks. Word. I think 10 bucks. Right. That's a dollar an empanada. Like that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to get blitzed and I'm going to have a lot of fun at Slater Park. You do you. Yeah. Business uh, idea. <laughs> if you are a woman that makes empanadas, you can name your business because it's at Slater Park, Slater Empanadas. Slater Empanadas. Get it? No. That doesn't make sense? No. Damn it. <laughs> Thanks for playing. <laughs> <though. laughs> like, when you after you eat it, you know, you finish the whole thing and you're like, damn, Slater Empanadas. Oh, you slayed her ah. empanadas. Yes. Come on, catch up. Takes a little time to <laughs> catch on me, but <laughs> You know what? It's a good business idea. A lot of bad puns in this episode. <laughs> Alex has been doing this. Like this exact brand of wordplay for the last couple of days, and they're getting worse and worse. <laughs> what was another one that I did? I forget. Kate Blanchett. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who who blanches the vegetables before you put them in the freezer? Kate Blanchett. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> I don't know. This, see what I'm living with here. Uh, yeah. But anyway. Uh, I'll be. Someday. What was that one that was on the story today? Oh, Insync Clown Posse. Yeah, <laughs> that, that one's me. pretty good. That was me too. That yeah. was well. That yeah. That was that was pretty much Alex. Yeah. But I've always thought of that. Like even when I was younger, and in like. Uh... That's because I was talking about Insync, and then he said Insane Clown Posse, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, the mashup we didn't know we needed." And Alex was like, "I knew." Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said Insane Clown Posse, and I was like. Yeah, I don't know. That's where it came I'm from. I'm trying to get our friend group to go to um, the Juggalo Festival, but yeah. no one wants to do it, and I think this might be the last year because someone in the Insane Clown Posse has some kind of health problem, I think. Oh. Wah, wah. That's too, too bad. Too much sugary drink. Too, too much, much Fago. Fago. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> uh, you can find a list of restaurants and all the information about the fa- the empanada fest restaurant week etc on the providence journal website so check that out can we rent a table there can we like you want a table at yeah the empanada fest can we name it <laughs> no Never mind. no we can't no, alex cannot <laughs> you name don't get it. to name anything no. <laughs> <laughs> no if you have any good name ideas send them in to our instagram please so no, we don't have to use one of alex alex can alex has access to the instagram though no, no, you can't. You gotta change the password. I know. Send here's it to the, me directly. Here's the um, a a funny entry at the Times in the opinion section. Its name of it is Trader Joe. I'd love to hear details on how Joe Biden's secret deal with the Taliban. Oh yeah. Did they cut him in on the precious metal futures along with mm. China? What other secret deals? Mexican dope cartels. <laughs> Organized crime, Putin. <laughs> all, just all just the word Putin. Checking all the yeah. boxes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Just the word Putin. You don't need anything else. You just need Putin. <laughs> Honestly, there there is a little bit of sh- like a little bit of interesting, you know, 
what is the future going to hold as far as the the different kinds of resources that is, that are in Afghanistan yeah. and how we're going to try to manipulate there might be there might have been some kind of terms to uh, open access for us to have some kind of contractors or companies to go there or at least some kind of business deal with the Taliban to get some of those resources. Oh, a business deal with the Taliban. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, what could go wrong? Well, America has a reputation for allowing um, brutal governments taking control of areas yeah. in order to help. If you haven't you heard sure? it, you're hearing it here. <laughs> yeah. See, because I'm from so. America and that doesn't sound yeah. like us. <laughs> they never told me this in school. <laughs> well, you know what? Somebody in the Times has a great idea. Putin? The UN should declare the airport in Afghanistan, just the airport, the airport, the airport uh, a safe haven zone. And international troops should be stationed there indefinitely. Y'all don't know. They should be fortified and never given up to the Taliban. (laughs) Actually, there's a there's like a a beef right now within the U.S. military. One major, I think, or was he lieutenant colonel, got fired recently because he put on this video that he put online. It became viral, and he was talking about how the troops shouldn't have left Bagram before everyone else was evacuated out of Bagram because. Um, Kia or uh, the Kabul airport Kabul International Airport is just like unsecurable it's like right next to the, um, the like all the neighborhoods in Kabul so he got fired because he's basically saying that the US military doesn't know what they're doing he's not a good guy either he's a lieutenant colonel in the US army like getting and, fired for critiquing yes the, the leadership mm-hmm. there are rules like you can't wear your uniform and make critiques about the US military yeah, no, you, I, have to, I, you have to have some kind of solidarity I'm but, not surprised uh, but yeah, I've. I mean, it's every once in a while you see people from the military, um, kind of like take a step out of line and try to become political like that on like a like a, a larger stage. And I don't know, it's kind of scary because he did leak it. He did kind of loop the whole situation in with like economics and like China and the government. So I don't know. I get kind of freaked out when military officials start trying to dictate political, you know, situations. Stay in your lane, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys want to talk about Afghanistan right now? Um, I mean, is Rhode Island even taking in refugees? Oh, uh, Patricia Morgan said that that, uh, Joe Biden's handling of the of the whole thing has been terrible and that she feels bad for all of the people who are affected by the terrible withdrawal. Um, But in response to Dan McKee's signing paperwork saying that Rhode Island is willing to take some of the refugees. Her response was, we already have too many refugees. Oh! So... Pat, what's up with that? Does she really care about the refugees? I don't think so. She only cares about the little guy. The little guy. Don't you know? I don't know who... (laughs) I hate when she says that. I don't know who... Putin? Yeah, (laughs) Putin. (laughs) Putin is the little guy. (laughs) Don't tell him I said that. Oh, man. Um, Yeah. Yeah, she's terrible. Yeah, fuck you, Patty. Yeah. Uh, and fuck Jake Felipe too, yep. just because. Um, yeah, I mean we can talk about Afghanistan. I imagine the PSL people will also sure, sure, try sure. to wrap them up into that. Have you seen the meme? Uh, that's a still from the office of Jim looking through the blinds, and it's like George W. Bush watching Joe Biden take the fall. <laughs> yeah. For all that. Uh, no, I haven't seen that meme, but that makes a lot of sense. There was somebody also in the newspaper. Uh, I don't. I don't think I circled it, so I don't know where it was. Who, um, uh, it it baffles my mind when conservatives are 
boggles baffles it boggles boggles my mind when conservatives like talk about how uh how bad of a decision it was to withdraw the troops from afghanistan and yet nobody's talking about why we were over there in the first place well there's that but that the actual uh decision to get out was made by donald trump Mm -hmm. and donald trump assigned may as the date that we that the united states would be out so Donald Trump pretty much knew that he was going to lose the election, signed paperwork saying that the United States would withdraw from Afghanistan, knowing that the burden of following through on that promise would be put on the next president, a.k.a. Joe Biden. And now that Joe Biden has done it and he, you know, I don't know if he personally botched it or if the whole circumstance was just incapable of being perfectly executed. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have an opinion on that. Uh, but now they can just point the finger at Joe Biden and say, this is all your fault. It's like, man, your boy actually did yeah. it. And your boy would have gotten out much earlier if your boy had won, but he lost. Did y'all ever watch The Lone Gunman? No. Have you ever seen a television show called The X-Files? Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, you're talking about those. Those one. Yeah. Lone okay, so they had like a spinoff. In which they fully predicted 9-11. We gotta find those gunmen. Uh, Damn. I'm not sure that they're all alive, but... <laughs> yeah, so something like... Uh, oh my god, it's been so long. Let me think about this. Like, How can I watch this? They pre- I'll have to research that for you. Is it but, X-Files uh, episode, The Lone Gunman? No, it's, their, it's a spinoff. Oh. They had their own thing. I mean, The Lone Gunman are in several episodes. They're it's kind of like Frasier and Cheers. They're part of their own. That makes sense. They're part of uh, canon, but also of some of the Monster of the Week episodes. But it's those like three guys, um, and they they in their own in their spinoff thing. They had something about uh, yeah, like the the U.S. government or the CIA or whoever, uh, you know, having somebody from the Middle East hijack planes. Uh, no, 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 not even. The, so basically, yeah, the U.S. does 9-11, lets uh, terrorist groups take the blame for it so that they can go over and do a war, right? And this is all, like, years before George Bush is just watching 9/11. that episode and being like, that's a good that's idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> hey, Dick, get in here. Watch this. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm painting. Let me finish first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't seen. I have I, to watch that. I love the X Files. I have not yeah. watched as much X Files as I want to. I get really intimidated by shows that have like a lot of episodes and seasons. Have you seen Twin Peaks? Yes. Did you like it? Yeah. There's a lot of crossover. But the, but Twin Peaks is like, well, there were two seasons. Yeah, there's not as many episodes, but, but it's got the hype. You know. I just get intimidated by shows with too much because mm. then I'm like. Damn, this is gonna take like a fucking year for me to get through it. Cause I I can't do like binge shows show days either, where I just watch TV all day. Uh, so I see like thirteen seasons with twenty eight episodes per season, and I'm like, fuck, man, this is gonna take me forever. It's the opposite. I'm the opposite. Yeah, I'm like dope. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like yes. And Frasier, for example, I think has 11 seasons. <laughs> Mr. Frasier Crane. Frasier's cool because I could like walk in while Evan was watching it and sit down for like 10 minutes and know like what's going on. And be like, all right, cool. Yeah, they're like, self-contained. 
episodes. I think that Kelsey Grammer is an anti-vaxxer, though. No! Or maybe a Trump supporter. Damn. Same thing. Yeah, I don't know. Squares and rectangles. But... He flies an American flag, so I need to know. That's as much suspicion as <laughs> you need. Mm. That 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 is true, man. When I see somebody like with an American flag, I get like uncomfortable. Was I talking to you about that with like people in Germany when they see like a German flag on someone's house, they already know what kind of person is there. No, it, you weren't talking to me about it, but and and yeah. yeah, now in America, when you see an American flag, it's not just a symbol of the country. It's like a, it's like a political statement. It's like you know like how conservative this person might be. It's true. Does South America have a flag? Of South America, like the continent. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't so. think so. No, but individual countries have flags. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I want to take this huge conversation and funnel it down to about Rhode Island real quick. Do it. Um, so listeners may know, they may not know, um, that the federal uh, moratorium for evictions was recently suspended because the CDC, according to the Supreme half the Supreme Court isn't able to uh, make judgment calls on um, the livelihoods of people in America. So that was suspended. So what does that mean for Rhode Island? Well, there are certain people that are out there that are saying we need uh, people to protect tenants' rights, like Tenant Network RI, and also some other groups like, um, can you hear all the papers I have in front of me? Uh, Like Jennifer Wood from Rhode Island Center, Rhode Island Center for Justice and also the Housing Works RI. Um, they're asking for protections because we actually had a, uh, a state-specific Rhode Island eviction uh, bill that was going to be passed, I think, in March, and then it just kind of died in, in the committee, held for further study until it just withered away. And um, so McKee uh, had a statement about it. He said that we are, well, his person said, that they're disappointed by the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, and they asked Congress to change their mind and uh, put some kind of protection for renters in place. And then they also plugged in the um, renters uh, resource, RI, which is how you get the money from the COVID relief from the federal government. Mm. So you need to take advantage of that. Um, It's extremely important. Not enough people either know about it or have the ability or, or, or think that they have the ability to benefit from it. There's a couple things that you need um, before you can apply for uh, rent relief. One of them is you need to fit inside the income requirements. You have to be at 80% of income or below. For like 90% of Rhode Island, that income limit is like $49,500 for one person. For two people, it's $59,000. So um, if you make under that amount, and COVID has affected your life in some kind of capacity and you're not able to pay your rent, they are, you can go to this website. It is Rent Relief RI, and they'll be able to uh, hopefully get you on road to um, get some rent relief money. The standard is like $7,000. Um, the money does not go to you, unfortunately. The money will go to your to landlord. Your landlord yep. The landlord can also file this for you. However, um, now with the eviction um, moratorium lifted, they might just be trying to kick people kick the fuck out. Out, yeah. Um, but if they want their money, they should just do the damn thing. But there definitely are landlords who 
uh, are vindictive or yeah. whatever. They just won't participate for one reason or another. The landlords could probably kick you out and then put it in for the money anyway. So that way they get to boot you, bring someone else in, and then collect the money on collect your behalf. Jack up the rent between kicking you out and getting somebody else in there. I so. mean, yeah, that that is generally happening in Providence in general. So uh, there's there's two thousand there's over two thousand people right now that are on the list for evictions in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Um, Nine hundred. Two thousand so people or two thousand households. Good, uh, good question. It's households, I believe. Okay. Right. And uh, letters were sent out to all these places. Nine hundred of the letters didn't end up going anywhere. They got returned, returned. to center. Um, the sender a small amount uh, responded and then other people just did not respond at all like 900 people and these are all people that are already under like the the weight of having an eviction before covid and now um, things were held off because of that moratorium which is not in place anymore but in order to get money from this from this covid relief bill federally that rhode island has you don't need to already have missed payments. You don't need some kind of history or some like negative balance on your um on your on your utilities. If you think you're gonna go under, if right now you're pulling money out of your spending, out of your saving account, if you even have a saving account, because you can't make it to work to make all your hours because you're taking care of someone else, or maybe you're working, um, or maybe you're not working, maybe you're uh, unemployed and you're you're just not able to make your bills or. Maybe you have some kind of health issue and you're having a problem paying for medication and at the same time paying for your rent and other things. If you have any kind of thought that the world is changing and you're going to be left outside on the street, then you should reach out and try to get this money. And you know who can help you? Tenant Network RI. Sure can. They can also help you get unionized and also... um, help everybody in your building bond together to Mm -hmm. give you more strength and they can also have people give you the information to lawyers that will be able to represent you when you if you do go and uh go to court Mm -hmm. in an eviction situation and also you should go and talk to them if you're having any questions about evictions anyway because there's a lot of shady fucking shit that landlords are doing a lot of illegal eviction notices a lot of um shady business practices and a lot of manipulation and you should make sure that your landlord even if you like your landlord you know you have a good relationship with them make sure that you're not being taken advantage of because you are just a way for them to make ends meet you are not their friend you are a source of income for them that's it so here are some phone numbers uh dan mckee's phone number is 401-222-2080 Jack Reed's phone number in Providence is 401-528-5200. And uh, Jim Langvin is 202-225-2735. You should call these people and annoy them and tell them that we need need a protection for Rhode Island tenants. McKee's talked big about wanting to help people, so let's make sure that he puts out on on those words. And lastly... Shikarki, right? That fucking prick. Um, He had a statement about this, too. He said, One of the reasons I'm so passionate about advocating on housing issues is because I know the people have better outcomes when they're in safe, stable housing they can afford. I do not want to see anyone lose their home. Shikarki works for the... Let me get it so I don't get it wrong. The Warwick Housing Authority and has evicted many, many people before coronavirus, and he will evict people 
during coronavirus and probably after coronavirus. He's a lawyer. You already know how I feel about lawyers if you listen to our first episode. And um, he might seem kind of, you know, impartial, not really a care about this whole situation because he knows that he's going to get a $4,000 paycheck to evict people one way or another um, if this moratorium is lifted, which it has been if there's no protections for uh, tenants. So he's a scumbag. Um, McKee, I don't like you, McKee, but if you want to help Rhode Islanders, and you should because you work for them, you need to defend the tenants and you need to put something forward into legislation to make it proper. Um, The money needs to go out to the people that need it. They need to hear about it. Uh, Tenant Network RI is doing a lot of work to try to get people to know that they can have this money in their hands, or not even in their hands, in their landlord's hands, so they're not fucking evicted. I was going to say, if you have, like, an okay at least relationship with your landlord maybe it couldn't help to go up to them and be like yo i'm not gonna be late on rent and i'm not um uh like i haven't been late yet but i'm gonna apply for this because like paying rent has put me on edge and has drained my savings so the money's gonna come to you and like can we work something out like maybe retrograde rent for a couple months or that's the right word. No. Re- retro- <laughs> Retroactively. Retroactive yeah. rent or something like that. Uh, something like that to, to help you um, be able to survive. Um. Well, there are certain things that are in place for other states, like Massachusetts, for example. Um, in order to go through with the eviction process, you must at least be practicing all of the steps to get housing assistance before you get there. So that includes going to get help from this um, federal funding for COVID relief. So you can't evict someone before you check all of your options. Mm -hmm. So that's something good that Massachusetts is doing. At least Rhode Island doesn't have anything like that going on. Um, Also, if you're taking other kind of housing assistance, this is not going to jeopardize you from getting this money. So don't be scared that if you take some kind of government program, you're going to lose the other government program. It doesn't work that way. Um, Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, so link up with Tenant Network RI, call your politicians, be loud about this on social media. Um, politicians do have to check their social media. Someone does have to tell them what's happening, and as you're as you know, you are their constituents. You have a say and you have a voice um, until the guillotine shows up. Hmm. Can I talk yeah. about? Something semi-related, but not specifically or explicitly related. I want to talk about uh, a personal situation, which is uh, me trying to get uh, on disability in time of a pandemic, (laughs) which has been really depressing. Um, So for transparency, it was last year before the pandemic started, before COVID was known to be in the United States, that I contracted like just a litany of gnarly respiratory illnesses all at once um and i did not i was did not have health insurance at the time Uh, i was teaching full-time and i could not i was very 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 broke definitely like paycheck to paycheck and like selling stuff to make rent uh could not afford to take off any time and take care of myself so i pushed through it and worked through it and ended up uh, in the hospital. Uh, when I went in, they were like, this is the worst 
like your chest x-ray is like the worst thing I've ever seen. This is horrible. And they had to put me um, in an induced coma on the respirator uh, from which I have like scars and like physical scars on my face and definitely in my brain because you know what they do to you when you're on a respirator is they strap your hands and legs to the bed so that you don't pull it out, um, which I did try to do and they had to fight with me and it was really traumatic and really bad but anyway um at some point during all of that was when uh the blood clot showed up in my body and burst through my heart and went up into my brain also known as an embolism also known as a stroke um so which is you know equivalent to brain damage uh, or like traumatic trauma or traumatic trauma duh traumatic brain injury um so uh I was in the hospital for the better part of a month you know couldn't go home didn't wasn't didn't wasn't able to go back to my home for about seven weeks um and during that period of time I also lost a few family members and had to like go go home and deal with that and when I got back um you know then began the process of trying to get into physical therapy and occupational therapy and all the therapies and uh, like, you know, get in with the neurologist and the cardiologist and the pulmonologist, all the ologists. And, um, but I couldn't work. I could barely stand. I could barely breathe. I could barely do anything. And uh, so, you know, I talked to the teachers union and I talked to some professionals, talked to family and friends and everybody was like, yo, get on disability. That shit was taken out of your paycheck the whole time you were working. You deserve it. That's your money. You you should get it. So, you know, I applied. I did the best I could. And they immediately shut me down, you know, and were like, you could lift a finger. You can work. And um, so this was, like I said, February going into March of 2020, which, as you know, was right at the very beginning of the pandemic. It was as I was driving home or my dad was driving me home to Louisiana for family funerals, listening to the news on the radio, finding out that a pandemic had been declared. Um, so when I came back, there was no work to be done. And also I had lost my ability to stand. Uh, I had lost my, at the time, my voice was even worse than it is now. Um, and my, I had such, I had like zero motor skills. Like I could not use my hands. So as an art teacher, you know, somebody trained in art, but previously also trained in restaurant work, cooking and stuff, you know, anything you need your hands for, construction work, painting, carpentry stuff you need your hands for man um I couldn't do any of it I couldn't work uh and and even though I had doctors backing me up on this uh the social administ social security administration just wouldn't budge on it and it's been it's been this long uh and I'm still getting letters saying it could be eight to ten more months um I have had I have had to go back to work um, I was not full-time because I have so many appointments and therapies to get to in a week. I'm about to go back to work full-time for the first time, and I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Um, already, a lot of appointments that I desperately need have to be pushed back and pushed back because hospitals are full, doctors are full, busy, and uh, because of my new work hours, I have to change the times that I go to these appointments, and so it's getting harder and harder and harder. And I've been broke for a long time, and it seems like I'm going to be broke for a long time, for at least eight to ten months. Um, 
And then it's like, okay, so what if I even get it? What if I even get it? You're not supposed to have a certain amount of money in your account at any given time. You know, you're not, you can't have children. You can't get married. There's all this stuff. Get that shit cash. Stash um, it in your mattress. Right. So it's, it's a, it's, it doesn't feel like I can win in any way. And there's no sorry coming from anybody. There's no acknowledgement of like the absolute hell that it's been. You know, I've got thousands of dollars in hospital bills that I got to figure out for one. But then there's also, yeah, like regular old bills and rent. And I'm a damn teacher now. You know how much money teachers spend of their own money, like buying things for the kids? So I'm pissed. I'm really pissed about this. Um, I don't know even know. I don't even know if I still want to get on it. I do want to retroactively get that money um, that is owed to me. That is my money that I paid into that I deserve from the long time in which I couldn't work. But I don't even really know what to do now. So and my lawyer, like the the law firm that is representing me, it's not a personal thing. My therapist recommended them to me. Um, because he said that they were fairly, they were somewhat transcompetent. Um, I would disagree with that now, based on this experience, and um, and say that just no, they haven't, they haven't really helped me at all. Sorry to say. So uh, if you are somebody in the same boat, uh, I don't even know if I have any advice for you. I have no call to action. I I don't know what to do or say about this. This is just a situation that super duper sucks, and is very upsetting. And I'm not the only one, like not even close. And I'm in a position of privilege, obviously, because of who I am. And because if I need money, well, remember I mentioned all those relatives that died, uh, got a little money out of that situation. So anyway, carry on, boys. So what? So if somebody has advice or has gone through it, would you like them to reach out to you? Um, yeah, I don't. I am famously against people trying to solve things for me, but this is something that I've been working on for a year and a half now, and I don't know how to solve it. So if you have an idea or advice or you've been through, especially if you've been through it, those are the people that I want to talk to, people who know what they're talking about, not the people telling me what I should do who have never done it and have no idea what it's like. Yeah. Uh, That is pretty much all we have time for this week. we have the PSL on next uh, coming up. So stay tuned for that and hear about who the PSL are and how you can help. And if you are inspired by them, how you can get involved. Uh, and if you like what you hear today or if you like the half episodes or, or if you support anything that we're doing, anything that we're engaged in, uh, please look find our patreon um, and become a patron if all the people who listen to any given episode contributed one dollar a month it would go a long way towards the groups that we have on uh, and it would help us out a lot and we send you stickers and we'll send you patches and masks and zines and and all this other stuff so thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for psl thanks Thanks for tuning in to the interview portion of our episode. We are joined by two representatives of the PSL. Um, Y'all want to introduce yourselves? 
Yeah, um, my name is Andera. I use she and her pronouns. Um, so I'm, my family is actually from Cape Verde, um, came to Boston in the early 90s. I joined the PSL in 2018 when I first met some of their organizers um, working on a dining hall workers campaign. Um, I've worked in labor organizing, housing and uh, displacement work, campaigns like PPE for the people and around police brutality. And PCR, my name is Nino. Uh, I am originally from Brooklyn, been in Boston for the last seven years. Uh, and I'm also a teacher, uh, union organizer, uh, an anti-war organizer with the Anti-Coalition. Um, and yeah, I've been with the PSL for the last seven years or so and uh, consider myself a Pan-Africanist, uh, socialist, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here with y'all. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Uh, I thought that we could just start with a, a really broad question um, to explain to our audience, as if they are your grandmother or grandfather or grandparent, uh, what is the PSL? Yeah, um, so I think very simply put, like we're a working class uh, intergenerational group of people um, from different walks of life that have chosen to build a party to unite the multinational U.S. working class. We believe it's an essential element in the struggle for socialism. Um, we participate in labor, anti-war, anti-racist, immigrant rights, women's rights, um, and more, um, whether at a local and national level, um, because we believe that a revolutionary party can be built only by engaging all issues affecting the working class. <laughs> would your grandma my grandma would not know what the hell that meant but she's dumb so. I mean I would say yeah to build on what Indita you know says I mean we're a party of the working class uh, people who have to work those are the people who we organize to overcome the exploitation that people face uh, whether it's high rents you know, whether it's uh, fighting against war, fighting against racism, we're an organization to organize our class, to fight, you know, take those fights to their logical conclusion, right? To their, to what does the end of the fight mean, right? We're working class people win. We're a party, of, we're trying to win the class struggle against the bosses and landlords. Uh, and yeah, we believe that a party can only be built, an organization can only be built uh, to make this revolutionary change by engaging in all those issues uh, that affect the working class, right? So uh, your grandmother might also be going through, you know, the COVID pandemic. We also struggle, uh, uh, you know, for full health, for free healthcare, you know, socialism. Um, but that's what I would say that what we're about in a, in a nutshell. Those are both really good explanations. Yeah. Um, so there are, I mean, in the past, like, 10 or so years, there's been an explosion of, quote, revolutionary parties and broadly leftist parties. There's the DSA, there's the People's, uh, there's the Workers' Party. What's their, their, is it? It's a Socialist Workers' Party. It's, yeah, yeah, the Socialist Workers' Party. There's so. the PSL, and, you know, I don't want anyone to to talk negatively about any of those other groups but i was wondering if one of you could explain what 
in particular, it sets the PSL apart from uh, other revolutionary parties um, that have come up in the past 10 years or so? I mean, uh, I think we have to be like particular. Like, I mean, I'm not sure that DSA sees itself as a, I mean, I'm not sure if that's even how they describe themselves as a revolutionary party or trying to build a revolutionary party. I mean, I would argue that in the last 10 to 20 years, really since the fall of the Soviet Union, we've seen a movement away from parties and the party form and a estrangement and fear of parties. Uh, you know, we've seen like the Battle of Seattle, you know, even anarchism has a second has a second wind, you know, so I think, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I've seen an explosion of organizations. I'm not sure if I would say parties. I mean, I'm not really too privy to like all the different parties that are popping up uh, just because I don't know. I'm not really kind of big on like social media, like, like just I, I just don't know. Um, we have to be more like particular. Um, but I don't know if you, you wanted to add anything, Indita. Yeah, I think in my personal experience, um, not necessarily with other organizations, but what makes PSL, I guess, distinct. Um, like, yeah, I mean, honestly, entering the party um, or my first introduction, I would not even like describe myself as a socialist or was scared to. Um, didn't ever read Marx, Lenin. Um, eventually, like I got there, but I think it was how um, there was like a potential like scene in me to like struggle with me and like develop me as an organizer, um, particularly like as like a black woman, like who grew up in Dorchester. Um, and just like, yeah, developing me into like an organizer, whether it's like things we take for granted, like how to organize a meeting, make an agenda, um, speak at an event. Um, and yeah, outreach, just I think general things organizations take for granted. Um, but yeah, I think that's what was, is distinct about the PSL. Like we just don't like pay dues and you're, you're a PSL member, it's like, yeah where do you see yourself in the organization how can you grow and build yeah i will say i have been, i was a part of other organizations as well uh i was in socialist alternative for about like three weeks uh, <laughs> i was affiliated with work workers world and uh you know i mean when i first uh went to the psl office in new york you know i was expecting to see like uh see like busts of lenin or marx and it was like well malcolm x and ho chi minh uh, and you know, like, uh, so to me, really, the so the the party to me, uh, we have kind of we have this like unofficial slogan: no, there can be no socialism without liberation, and there can be no liberation without socialism, right? Like, you can't have socialism without black liberation, and some would argue that's how you get to socialism. Uh, you know, it's not fifteen dollars an hour that's getting you to socialism. At least not in this country. Mm -hmm. The most explosive rebellions and revolutionary moments have been led by the black working class uh and there is no liberation without socialism right like black people cannot be liberated without socialism just like women cannot be liberated without socialism so i think a lot of other I, i've seen just other maybe socialist tendencies that maybe see uh for example like black people as people who just so happen to be black as opposed to like an oppressed nation within a nation or a, col a domestic colony of an empire and not many socialist groups kind of see 
things uh, as such, or if they do, then it's very like in an ultra way where it's just like, all right, like it's it's not. There's no organizational, like like Indita was saying, like you know we put a high primacy on like theory to practice, but also building organization, you know, like like building mechanisms and committees and you know embedding ourselves in, in our unions and our. If you don't have a union, how do you fight for a union? Uh, and all that takes meetings, all that takes, you know, just time uh, and sacrifice. And I think some of the other groups that I've been a part of and have seen, it's more of like a social identity marker. Like, I'm a socialist. And it's like, well, in the PSL, it's like, well, we fucking, we organize. Like, if we're not, if we don't organize, you can pay all the dues you want. Like, we actually have to, to change the world. Um, but, yeah, I think. Yeah, my experience with the PSL is that it takes a lot of mentorship and uh, they take it very seriously and there's a lot of training and tutoring and a lot of the, the candidate process is pretty intense. Um, you both talked a little bit about um, about joining and your experiences, expecting Lenin busts and not reading theory when you first joined and how you're exposed to all these different things. Um, what can a person that wants to join the PSL the Party for Socialism and Liberation. What can they expect um, when they contact someone in Rhode Island and Providence looking to join up? Yes, so I can speak to that. Um, so yeah, if you do want to apply to be a member of the party, um, you would apply at pslweb.org slash join. And um, yeah, depending where you're located, someone in region will contact and will definitely talk to you. Um, I guess what to expect um you mentioned a little bit um i don't think it's necessarily i think a lot of the framing people think is like if the psl will accept you but it's more of a question to the person which is why we we meet a lot we talk we read things together is like um is for them to make the decision and the commitment if the psl is the right choice for them so it's like whether reading about like our position on national oppression um how will the police be abolished um women's rights um all those things is just like introductory um not saying that like yeah we don't expect we don't recruit perfect quote-unquote marxists or anything like that um and then from there um if they are ready to join and be involved consistently with the party um there's a candidacy period which typically sit takes like six months um and there's 13 classes ranging on like Again, they're all introductory classes. You're not gonna be an expert at the end of any of them, but it's just like a baseline we provide for all our members on like how to be a member, um, on labor. There's classes on Cuba, USSR, China. Um, but that's kind of the expectations. Am I missing anything? Or like what to expect? No, nah, I think that's pretty much about it. I mean, also like, you know, we, I mean, we expect people to be like, trying to organize to the best that they can you know so obviously like you know we have to study but we also have to practice so there's the candidacy where you go to the classes to you know discuss the, the party's positions and study and you know there's that there's that's needed uh, but also you know we ask folks like all right well can you organize any like can you organize at your workplace like are you are your co-workers like getting mistreated like is there anything in your neighborhood like because you know yeah you have to be doing something 
Um, even if it's minimal, you know, just something like flaring, you know, uh, trying to, I, I mean, anything just to be brought, but um, yeah, I think what Indita said, yeah, I agree with 100%. So everybody has to be willing to do their part. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how revolution works, right? <laughs> Ideally. Uh, the Boston PSL just opened up the the center for liberation or some thing i'm so sorry i know i've been following it but i i just i'm not good at remembering names of things can you tell us about that a little bit yeah we just opened up our boston liberation center that was it um, why couldn't i remember that <laughs> yeah blc um but uh, uh yeah i mean it was a long time coming you know uh and i mean yeah i, I think there's opening it, you know, it's like opening a book and now reading a book. It's mm -hmm. like, all right, well, it's open, but now we have to, that's the, that was the easy part. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, what do y'all have going on in Rhode Island, uh, in particular? Any, like, campaigns or anything that people should know about if they're listening? And they want to come out and, like, see you and, and what PSL is all about? Uh, yeah, so um, we're still very young in Rhode Island um, and just starting to build here. Um, we don't have any campaigns that we're leading up right now. Um, last year, we did the campaign to get Gloria LaRiva on the presidential ticket, yeah. um, which we were able to accomplish in Rhode Island as well as 14 other states. Um, some of our members, though, um, have played like a uh, strong and supporting roles in demonstrations on like various struggles. One example um, is like, I supported and spoke at demonstrations um, that teachers in Rhode Island were putting on because of the unsafe reopening. Um, yeah, during the pandemic, which we're still in. Um, also, I've helped organize and lead several, several demonstrations against police brutality. Um, others are involved in Rhode Island for Palestine or Behind the Walls Committee, which is a committee organized to help folks who are incarcerated or uh, affected by incarceration. Um, we are also like locally involved in the Answer Coalition, um, and we've organized the Stop Asian Hate National um, Day of Demonstrations. Um, but again, like we don't have a single campaign, but we do support and intervene when and where we can. Um, and we'll definitely have one in the future, but right now we're mainly doing popular education, um, supporting struggles and gaining education. Awesome. Yeah, I think you're a pretty familiar, I mean, even though your chapter is pretty young in, in Providence, I for one have seen the PSL show up at a lot of demonstrations and they've definitely been out there putting the work in. Um, there was also a summer learning program down at India Point Park in Kennedy Plaza. Is that still going on? Yeah, so we we go to all these like demonstrations because yeah, wherever there's like working class people, wherever it is that we can intervene or help like lift political consciousness, you'll usually find PSL. Um, and yeah, part of that, of like attending those demonstrations is like we try to fill in, in gaps where we see them. Um, and we're able to do like these free educationals. Um, so recent, most recently we had a Black August series um, at India Point Park, um, which Black August is like honored every year to commemorate like fallen freedom fighters of the Black Liberation Movement. 
um, in a call for release of political prisoners in the U.S., um, which also the United States doesn't recognize that we have any political prisoners, um, to condemn the oppressive conditions of U.S. Pri uh, prisons. Um, and yeah, important about Black August as well is like we commit to higher levels of discipline throughout the month. Um, and that can include fasting um, from like food or drink, uh, more frequent like physical exercise, uh, political uh, study and engagement and political struggle. Um, so yeah, so for this last study series, we read uh, Sophia, uh, Sophia Bakari, Asada Shakur, um, and George Jackson specifically. Um, and yeah, it was really dope. We made like these little pam pamphlets for everyone to get when they came in. We would read it out loud. Um, and all our educationals, not just the study series, like follows discussion after. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really dope. Um, our next event um, is actually gonna be a liberation flick, um, which we're still working out some of the details, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely gonna be at Burnside Park. Okay. Um, it was originally going to be a Soy Cuba screening, um, which is a film documentary with all like the recent news of like the counter revolutionaries in, Cu in Cuba and also in Miami. Yeah. Um, but with things that have progressed so quickly in the news cycle, um, we're actually going to be doing a screening of Empire Files um, on Afghanistan. Um, so it'll be on September 11th, 7 to 9 at Burnside Park. And again, we'll watch the film. Um, there'll be a short presentation and discussion following. Very cool. I definitely want to check that out. Um, yeah, I'll be there. I was, I mean, maybe this is not like the right time to ask about it, but what is the PSL's position on um, what's happening in Afghanistan and our visitation to Afghanistan and how we first got there or how we first started putting our fingers into what's happening over there and fucking with everything. I mean, uh, well, one is, I mean, it's, yeah, I think the PSL, we've been a part of the Anti Coalition, which I think was formed like right after 9-11. I remember at the time, you know, folks, like the, 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 the war in Afghanistan was very popular. Like 90% of Americans supported it. Uh, it was just a wave of, you know, American nationalism. Because George Bush, if you recall, his his uh, uh, his uh, he was in polling so well. I think he's maybe like twenty percent of the country supported him, and then boom, you know, the war on terror, nine eleven happened, and you know, like he just became he had ninety percent approval rating. It was wild, uh, and so yeah, I mean, the war like there were no Afghans. Uh, on that on any of the planes that you know attacked the United States on right. September 11th 2001 uh, the Taliban which the United States uh, I mean supported and engineered uh, to fight the Soviet Union which was invited into the country because of the counter-revolution that the United States was whipping up against a popular socialist government which it's like the historical irony was granting women education all these things that the united states is clamoring for now you know it's just this weird historical irony but uh so you know they, the taliban also said that they would offer osama bin laden not uh but you know they would want him to be tried or something in a muslim country or a muslim majority country or something of the sort you know something minimal like okay if you really want this person 
all right, well, here's this one thing. And the United States said, no, we don't negotiate with terrorists, and they invaded. Uh, and yeah, we were a part of uh, leading demonstrations against the, the Iraq and Afghanistan war uh, when people were like, it's dangerous because 90% of the country is like, yeah, you know, go to war. Um, so yeah, our position has been always to be like in militant opposition to the war. Uh, and we should, we have no business there. The people of Afghanistan can uh, determine their own destiny without us. Uh, they can fight the Taliban if they so choose without us. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's really telling that there wasn't a single shot fired when the Taliban took over the world and took over, took over uh, Afghanistan <laughs> and, and then subsequently took over the world media headlines in like a couple of days. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And, so, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, I think one thing that isn't really raised, but is in our program, uh, if you go to Liberation School and look up the PSL's program, is that, we, you know, we demand reparations because, you know, in the media headlines, like, well, well it, it would be irresponsible for the United States to get out of Afghanistan. And it's like, because, you know, look at the look at the, ter the recent terrorist attack, right? The recent suicide bombing, right? It killed 169 Afghans and I think 13 or 12 Americans. I mean, all I've been hearing is the 12, 13 Americans. Right. Of course, like, of course, yeah. <laughs> 200 Afghans, but uh, you know, we, we Afghanistan needs reparations to recover, right? You can't just be like, all right, deuces, pot, bye. <laughs> we destroyed your country, we, we you know, uh, uh, created you know, massive opioid addiction because we just you know, we were able to just foster its production there, and you know, literally drop, drop, drop the mother of all bombs. I think that's what Trump called it last year or two years ago on Afghanistan and then just leave and yeah we can't just focus on like biden uh, uh uh it's really you know it's, it's an entire imperialist system right uh trump i mean quote unquote set biden up by saying i'm gonna withdraw by this date and biden said oh i have to no you don't i have to i have to i have to you know see this through and it's like no you don't actually you don't you know uh but uh, that's that's the you know that's the the, the popular myth is that is that this is about Biden or this is about Trump? And it's like, well, Obama added mm -hmm. on to the war. George Bush started the war. We, uh, whoever, Kenneth, who's President Carter? Was it? Yeah, Jimmy Carter during the 1980s, you know, also supported the Taliban. Like, this is not any president's war. This is an imperialist system. Uh, yeah, that's, if you check out Liberation News, uh, we have articles every other day about Afghanistan. I think one just came out like yesterday. Uh, and I could probably share that with y'all uh, later. Yeah, we'll we'll include a link on the the podcast episode like description to PSL stuff, um, where people can check out the Liberation News and and also uh, the membership information that's on there. Um, one, so two things that I'm getting from this conversation that uh, I I really value about the PSL. Um, the first one is I've talked to Satya uh, a couple times, who I'm sure both of you are familiar with, a comrade of, of all of us here. Um, and one thing that he was telling me about the PSL once uh, that I really appreciated, because I feel like within, quote, leftist circles, there's so much infighting about very particular things or something that somebody did um, that you know have led to entire splits of communists of comrades or something like that 
And, you know, maybe the biggest example of it is uh, the relationship of Stalin to the broader communist socialist project in the Soviet Union. Um, But one thing that he said is that we tried not to uh, make other comrades look bad, even if we don't, even if later we come to not necessarily accept uh, what happened fully. Uh, we don't see it as uh, in necessarily an error of ways, um, more of like a learning process, like a dialectical learning process of, of trial and error. Um, do you, have you all uh, uh, encountered that kind of sentiment in, in the PSL, in the organization? Um, I think... I mean, from, I mean, you asked a few different things, but I think of like mainly struggling through people as opposed to like getting hung up on like petty differences or how we go about things. Um, I mean, I think very easily, like for me, it's just very easy to think about it of like who wins. Um, It's like, if we're not going to work together, um, it's exactly what the state wants, right? It's exactly Mm -hmm. what the pigs want. Um, which I mean happened a lot in my experience last year during the uprisings where it was like yeah um, we wanted like everyone had different understandings um, but overall it was we want to abolish the police Um, but there was like questions of how we would get there um, which is fine right Um, to a certain extent um, like willing to struggle through it but it's like if we're just not going to work together we're doing exactly what the state wants. Um, and it's just, yeah. And also I think like your, what you mentioned about like Stalin, I I don't think, um, actually, Nino, do you wanna add on? Yeah, I mean, I'll say, uh, I mean, like people in the hood are, are definitely not like talking about Stalin <laughs> or splitting about Stalin, you know, like, you know, when we do like outreach for like, uh, like today we went to Carnival and did outreach around the, uh, uh, the Supreme Court decision to evict like millions of people. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are not like, well, what's your position on Stalin? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so we're just like, well, like in the grand scheme of things, like we also pride ourselves on having like an independent, you know, uh, analysis of you know the Soviet Union and past what we call socialist experiments because that's what they were like capitalism has had hundreds of years of just genocide and slavery and all the time to experiment and fake ass democracy you know like and socialism has had to been born under the gun of imperialism no matter where it's born it's immediately under siege uh, so you know we always have a critical eye to those countries and fundamentally we uh, in the case of Stalin, it's like, well, to us, like Stalin is not really the question. The question is the Soviet Union as a social system, right? So if you think of like a union, like a workers' union, like uh, I'm a teacher and I'm in a teachers' union, and, you know, you get certain benefits, right? Uh, uh, you know, healthcare and, dent, you know, maybe dental, maybe get some eyeglasses help or, you know, whatever, whatever better, you know, betterments you have from being in a union. Uh, but you can have a, a union president that, is a right-wing Democrat or something, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that you're no longer in a union. So for us, it's like, well, 
the Soviet Union is more important than Stalin in the grand scheme of things. Like, how did it work? Like, that's, like, if we don't understand that, then it's like, well, you can, whatever position you have on Stalin is probably irrelevant and sectarian, you know? Like, how did the Soviet Union work? Why is it socialist? What did we learn from this, right? Uh, what can, like, can we learn, you know, uh, how do we have just, like, an independent critical analysis um, that doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater? <laughs> right. I guess the, uh, the, the point of uh, understanding how it works and not getting into that partisanship that you just mentioned is sort of the key. So rather than like Stalin in particular, what I meant to get at is like individualizing uh, socialist experiments in the past, right? That what you see so much in leftist circles is somebody, you know, will dis will seek to discredit all communist experiments because I don't know, in their opinion, Fidel Castro messed up or something like that, or or Stalin messed the whole thing up or something like that. And in talking to Sati about it, it was sort of the PSL's position is let's not individualize this thing. And as you were saying, let's think of it as a system. And I think that that is a really uh, uh, inspiring way to think about it. Scientific. Scientific, yeah. Isn't it funny that that's like the criticism of communism and socialism is that the right is always saying that we're like anti-individualist and yet the critiques are all individual mm -hmm. hyper individualist yeah um yeah i mean did you have yeah. anything to add to it yeah i now i think i understand what you were asking but yeah i think that happens very often of um because yeah it's not a perfect socialist like utopia um it doesn't it's not actually socialist it's not actually correct um but actually when that happens right like if it has to be this a utopia um we actually end up supporting imperialist interests right um it becomes like yeah it's just like oh because i don't agree um yeah, we were saying like with Fidel Castro. So like we, we we're gonna go to intervene, right? Because there's actually like people are saying like there has to be like this nuanced view of where it's like you don't support US intervention, but you don't support Cuba. And it's like you actually can't have both. Um, you actually have to choose a like I mean, I hate to say choose the side, but it, it's exactly that. Right. Um but it's like, yeah, I'm definitely like yeah always want people to think about that it's like actually like where is your critique heading towards um especially like living in the u.s it's like i'm not going to give like you know like i am an american right like i'm i'm from here i um, mean i'm not going to allow my country to go intervene um especially on like existing socialist projects yeah yeah we're responsible for a lot of that shit yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of responsibility on us. Um, yeah, it was it was cool seeing um, the spin up with. Uh, you said you were doing something, or you were gonna do something about the reactionaries down in Cuba and the Miami response and the Cuban exiles or and all that stuff. That's all part of it too. I feel like the media was just trying to look for some communist country to stick it to by spinning up war drums with China, and then with those tiny prude protests over in Cuba turning over there to turn American 
American emotions to a high flare-up to get some kind of, like, push to go down and intervene in Cuba and all that kind of shit. Yeah. But... I mean, I, I think uh, I, I agree, and uh, you know, I, I think you know we're also in the PSL. Uh, we believe in revolutionary optimism. You know that uh, we can win. You know because on the, uh, you know, I mean, on the flip side, like imperialism is also in crisis. You know, it's it's it just got its ass handed to it by the Taliban. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like it's like the the dog took off the leash and beat the owner up. You know. And so get the you know night now you're gonna wear the leash, you know. Uh, and also, there were uh, well Sudan had a revolution you know a couple of years ago it was faltering, you know because of the crisis because of imperialism. But like you know I think we're optimistic in that like revolution can it must happen, you know. Um, like imperialism has has its sights on China, on Cuba, Nicaragua, Iran. Uh, it's committing genocide in Yemen. But also, it's you know it's overextending itself, right? Because you know the whole line is we have to focus on China, but they can't they can't even focus on China because they they're blunt. They're like, oh my God, Cuba! It's like what do you call that uh, when you're in a boat and the the different holes are like you know plugging up and you're trying to plug all the holes. <laughs> uh, you know it's sinking. Yeah. Uh, you know our thing is like like I think Indeed Amada said, you know socialism doesn't happen spontaneously. Uh, so we're like, this is this is the best time to be like, you know, like actually trying to build for socialism seriously. But yeah, it gives us some hope in some sense. Revolutionary optimism, that is so fucking important. Uh, it's so easy to become just a doomer with everything going on and just uh, imagine like, oh, this is going to, you know, we fight so hard and... Uh, we feel like we're not getting anywhere or you know feel like we're spinning our wheels it's important to become optimistic and give yourself that fire to uh to move forward it's totally. the same uh motto or the mantras or whatever the chants that they tell you in aa you gotta keep coming back and it works if you work it i love if it it works if you work it Fuck yeah nino do you feel comfortable speaking about your job um, actually, I don't know if you need to, if you were going to say something else. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to chime in about revolutionary optimism. Um, because I think just naturally, like being in a capitalist system, um, it makes the question of like revolution seem very daunting because capitalism is like individualistic. Um, cause I was definitely like before joining the party, like one of those people being like, well, it's always been this way. It's never going to change. Um, which actually history has show, shown us it actually hasn't always been this way. And there actually have like in the United States, we're just talking about when, 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 um, when in other places it's, it's happening right now. Um, so I think it's important to contextualize it as well as, um, yeah, I think also something that's important i think makes about revolutionary optimism it's also something that attracted me to the psl um because you know like growing up in your like in school and people are always like change is gonna happen but it sounds like really freaking corny and you're like you don't even believe it it sounds like you don't um but then like actually meeting a group of people i think that's what was like really made it really easy for me to join was like it made the task of revolution seem a lot less daunting 
because it wasn't something that was just like, I have to figure out how to do it by myself. Um, and it was like, yeah, we're all working together towards this common goal, which I think is important. And why I think organization just in general um, is really important. Um, Cause yeah, it makes it a lot less scarier and yeah, less daunting. It sounds like empowering through like community or comradeship rather than through individualism. And it's cool. Evan, did you have something to add? Oh, I just want to, well, I wanted to ask Nino about uh, being a teacher who is also a radical socialist and pan-Africanist and like what that's like and how you balance those things. I'm a teacher as well. And it's like, there's things I can't talk about, you know? Uh, I mean, people always ask me, like, how do you do it? And I mean, I've never had anybody from like Boston Public Schools, like ever try to like come at me oh, or nice. anything that I've done. Um, more so people like, like I've been attacked by some Zionists, you know, mm. some Zionists are like, like, oh, this person's like a potty mouth or something, right? <laughs> uh, you know, quite literally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like when it comes to education, I feel like that's one of the few spaces where, you know, kids can, you know, kind of experience liberation. Uh, I, I teach elementary school and, you know, I mean, so many changes happen in those formative years. You go from not knowing how to do anything. <laughs> Kindergarten, you're like, well, I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, to writing and you see the kids change just throughout, you know, you see like you put in time and work and you can improve and change and it's a liberating feeling, you know? Um, but uh, I will say, you know, I mean, public education in this country is a crime, you know, every single year uh, I was teaching fifth grade and you know, every single year I had a student that was at least one that was just like functionally just illiterate, like could not read C-spot run. You know, and I'm like, how'd you get to the fifth grade? Like, what? Like, what? Like, you know, like, don't know the sounds of letters. Like, I'm just like, what? <laughs> what happened? You know, uh, and every, you know, it's, it's, a re it's a recurring thing every year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of get some joy out of like, well, you see that if you put the work in and, you know, you can improve. Like, I think that's one of the, the few things that uh, I like about teaching. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you had any particular questions. Um, yeah, I guess I, don't, I wanted to know what you teach, which you just explained fifth grade. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, you know, are you getting any pressure about critical race theory in the discussion around that? Not so much. Not in Boston. Uh, no, I mean, the, the BTU, we just passed a couple of resolutions. Uh, one was around housing um, to support uh, uh, the city government and you know a lot and building more affordable housing. Um, and we passed a resolution last year uh, in the wake of the George Floyd rebellions. We called for I think the defunding of the police by like I believe it was ten or twenty percent. I forget the actual percentage. And <clears throat> for ethnic studies to be you know taught in Boston public schools. Um, for police to be out of uh, uh, Boston Public Schools. Um, but those are just like resolutions that, you know, we voted on and said, well, we support this as a union, but that's different than actually, we have to like, you know, put the pedal to the metal and actually get the police out of the schools because they're not gonna leave. 
and actually get ethnic studies and actually get the city to you know do these things defund um but yeah i, I don't know i uh what was the second question oh it's grade? about critical race theory no not much critical race now nah. mm, not even at all no nobody said anything about it i mean not in not not in the union and not within the schools i think the biggest thing people are discussing right now is the school committee like will the school committee can we get the school committee to be elected um vaccines you know there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy. yeah i mean i don't know uh, maybe the critical race theory storm passed us or maybe i'm not i'm not in those circles uh I don't know. But. I'm sure comrades in Florida have like a different set of problems that they're working through right now with that stuff, you know? Well, I'm just thinking like, especially considering unions, it's like, is there any protection for teachers who are without a doubt going to speak and tell the truth about race theory? Because like, obviously I will, but I'm scared of being fired. You know what I mean? And I just wonder if other people are experiencing that. I will say, uh, I was recently on Binding uh, uh, Me is Necessary, another podcast talking about critical race theory. And, you know, I mean, one is like, I mean, this this weekend actually is uh, the Howard, the, the, the Zen Educational Project, I believe, is uh, put out a, a call for a weekend of action um, uh, to teach the truth, right? For teachers to defend teaching yeah. the truth because. I mean, yeah, it's critical. Critical race theory is is a very complex legal theory, and is not being taught in public school. Like that's this part of it. It's like actually, if you know what critical race theory is, you just be like, oh, that's pretty hard and complex. Right. Like if your if your fifth grader can do critical race theory, they're probably a fucking genius. Like, <laughs> so it's a boogeyman yeah. that like local representatives use to to try to scare people into thinking that you know, like politics are worse than they uh than they can ever imagine because people are teaching our five fifth graders critical race theory and as you said like it's a very complex theory that comes from academia uh like higher academia in which like fifth graders can understand uh the complications of systemic racism but can they understand the theory of critical race theory i'm I'm not so sure, yeah. Well, and they're sort of reducing it uh, to this um, very incorrect idea that it's about um, erasing whiteness altogether. I think it's, I mean, for me at least, it's about decentering whiteness, but that's just me. Yeah, I don't know if indeed you have anything to say about critical race theory, but it's really, I agree. With the I mean, not very much um like, like i grew up in like either boston or brockton public schools um and i mean before getting my ged the highest grade i completed was the eighth grade and i mean i don't yeah i don't think critical race theory ever came up um i mean there's also yeah i think the standard of education because i was like in a very like underfunded school systems um that is just like generally like what are they teaching um and i also have an 11 year old 
um which i think yeah similarly it's like i mean he's going into the sixth grade it's yeah that hasn't necessarily come up either um but yeah so not very much to add to that i guess i'm just wondering like all of us are educators in a certain way whether we do it professionally or whether we're you know doing stuff with psl or things like psl so i'm just wondering about different perspectives uh or like different ways to educate people on the truth that's all so are you gonna say something no he's good okay So let's say I'm a baby leftist. You know, the last two years have opened my eyes and I'm feeling a little bit disoriented. Why should I uh, join the PSL um, as opposed to reformist groups like the DSA or um, something like that? I mean, I think Rowan is... Do you want to take that one up? I mean, I wouldn't frame it in that way. <laughs> I don't mean like, to make a competition out of it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah I mean, my bad. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, I think it's more of a question. And like what you were saying, like the mentorship, like it's not just in one conversation or one application of um, joining, of like just joining the PSL. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think deciding whether you want to like center revolution in your work or like are we going to center like reforms or single issues in your work I think is important um also I think um which I mentioned was like really important for me in joining this organization was like a uh, organization based on like development of their members right like there isn't like this one leader at a branch or nationally it's like we all need to be leaders we all need to like like speak publicly we all need to write articles um we all need to facilitate discussions and do outreach um but yeah so it's like joining the psl is a commitment and like we should say that up front um because yeah socialism doesn't fall from the sky or doesn't spontaneously happen um in order for there to be socialism there needs to be like actual socialists to build it um in order for there to be revolution there needs to be revolutionaries um so yeah, I guess that's how I would put it. That's a real it's a really good way to put it. Yeah, the theme of empowering uh, uh each other, I think is is what's coming out really clearly here that the PSL is committed to creating a cadre of of uh highly able, capable and empowered people to sort of uh, lead the revolutionary struggle in a very Leninist sense. And I think that uh, considering some of the other broadly conceived leftist parties that exist in, in the United States, it is sort of uh, uh, important to have that kind of uh, militantism um, in organizing. Uh, we So we've been at this interview for a long time. Is there anything uh, you all want to add before we wrap it up, particularly maybe to the people in Rhode Island who, as you said, it's a young party in Rhode Island and maybe 
looking to get some people that are interested, some more recruits? Yes, definitely. Um, so again, our next event that's coming up, I, there is a Facebook page up. Um, we'll be at Burnside Park on September 11th, 7 to 9 p.m. So please, I mean, I'll be there, catch you there. There'll be a film discussion and food. Um, also PSL, if you would like to apply to join the PSL or just learn more, pslweb.org slash join. Um, and also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, PSL Rhode Island. Hell yeah. Um, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on and talking. Can we do thank rapid you. fire questions real quick? Uh, or is there no time? No time. No time. Okay. Never mind. Ignore me. Uh, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having us. Peace, y'all. All right. Peace. Be good. Thanks for tuning in to Providence Leftist Radio. If you like what you hear, as always, please find our Patreon. Uh, the the help that you give to us also goes into the mutual aids that come on, and so we really appreciate it. The musical guest for this week is a friend of the show, uh, Megan Casey, and she will be playing at the Red Ink opening. So if you like what you hear from her, come check her out. Thanks. Adelaide.